Jim Cahill, and welcome to another Emerson Automation Experts podcast. In today's special podcast, I'm joined by Jennifer Jusen, Lyondell Basil's Chief Procurement Officer, Bobby Tudor, retired founder and CEO of Tudor Pickering Holt and Company, and currently the CEO of Artemis Energy Partners and Denka Wangdi, Emerson's Director of Sales for Sustainability and Growth. We'll be discussing some of the sustainability-related initiatives they are advancing. Welcome, Jennifer, Bobby, and Denka. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Well, it's great that you're all here. We're excited to have you share your perspectives. I guess, Bobby, let me begin with you. You have a vast background, including beyond what I said in our introduction, being currently chairman of the Houston Energy Transition Initiative, a consortium of Houston's leading energy companies working to shape the region's energy transition strategy. Also, you are the board member for the Carbon Neutral Coalition and several other organizations and other various positions. That must keep you pretty busy, all that going on. But let's start by asking you about the Carbon Neutral Coalition and its goals. Jim, the Carbon Neutral Coalition is a coalition, very broad-based coalition of stakeholders in Texas. It's a Texas-centric proposition. It was, it was put together by Corby Robertson of the Quintana Corporation. And the aim of the Carbon Neutral Coalition is to organize and sort of unite a very broad base of stakeholders in the incumbent oil and gas industry in Texas who are focused on driving the movement of the industry towards true carbon neutrality. And that would include upstream producers, midstream gatherers, downstream users, mineral rights owners, ranchers, landowners broadly, environmentalists, et cetera. So a very broad-based group of stakeholders. And the desire at the end of the day is to have a oil and gas business in Texas that is in fact carbon neutral. And so all of the things that might help get us there are the focus of the carbon neutral coalitions. That would include carbon capture use and storage, CCUS. It would in include regulations around methane detection, measurement and, and capture. It would include the elimination of routine flaring, et cetera. So it's really uh, focused specifically on the, what I call the incumbent oil and gas business in Texas and a, and a drive to make it carbon neutral over time. Well, that certainly sounds like a large challenge for a hydrocarbon or carbon-based business to become carbon neutral in all of that. But uh, I know we've got a lot of people here in the state energized to take on that challenge. Jennifer, you have an amazing background with a PhD in inorganic chemistry and an MBA and a lot of experience in your background from perusing LinkedIn, research chemistry, consulting, feedstock unit acquisitions, 
and overall procurement for materials and services. I guess with that broad experience, can you share how Lyondell Basil is advancing its sustainability initiatives to drive towards net zero? Sure. So we actually just announced an updated version of our initiatives. And so we had originally said we were going to reduce our scope one and scope two greenhouse gas footprint by 30% by 2030. Well, we just raised that to 42%. And we are joining the science-based target initiatives as well so that they can help look at the programs that we have at the sites to make sure that they're vetted and they're using the, the latest technologies. So we look at the sites. So that's scope one and scope two. We've also announced a scope three target, which is a reduction of 30% by 2030 as well. And so with all the sites, we have our carbon reduction programs in place, and we're looking at things like alternative fuels, renewable energy, electrification. So all of those things, as we create these roadmaps by the sites, we signed six, actually, virtual power purchase agreements in the U.S. this past year and two in Europe. And so we have a target there where we'd like to have at least 50% of our electricity through renewable by 2030. And then at least 75% of our energy, which should be low carbon. So we're working on that as well. And so for electricity, with all the power purchase agreements we did, we actually combined, it actually could power, I think it's 370,000 homes. So it's uh, it's exciting for us. So we drive towards 2030, and then we do have a, a goal of net zero by 2050. And so it is very important that we keep on these roadmaps and keep driving the, the sites. Well, congratulations on driving an even higher target for 2030 and all the great things you're doing so far to move yourself down that path towards net zero. Denka, let me ask you to share ways Emerson is helping our customers like Lyondell Basil to achieve their sustainability targets. Yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, Jim. And I just wanted to preface by thanking Jennifer and Bobby for joining us today. So, you know, the platform for Emerson essentially is, uh, it's almost in three manners. It's uh, greening off, essentially how do we keep our own house in order? Um, and it means improving our carbon footprint across 187 facilities. Our greening by, which is essentially the technologies that we serve companies like Lyondell with our solutions, our technology that really help them along their sustainability journey. And then the greening with which is almost the most powerful. It's like the understanding of the ecosystem, um, whether it's working with universities or the Carbon Neutral Alliance, or really partnering and making sure that we are embedded into that ecosystem. So the greening of essentially is a smaller mix. It means that we can check off our scope one, two, and three net zero targets, which is for the year of 2045, and our scope one and two, which is for 2030. Now we're far along the ways to making sure our scope one and two is met, but when it comes to vendor selection or supply selection, Lyondell and all of our other customers are looking at the people that they want to partner with to making sure that we're meeting our targets. So that's essentially point one. But really the, the secret sauce, or if you will, our, our strength is around the greening buy. And if, if you think about the chemical industry alone, Jim, you know, 60% of CO2 comes from just the combustion process. And Jennifer touched on scope three, which is in the chemical industry, about 75% of the total emissions, 75%. 
I mean, that's insane. So the way that we help, whether it's, you know, optimizing the steam turbines or their pumps, their facilities, pressure, pressurized equipment, it's done through really the advancement of digitization, digital solutions, efficiency improvements is how we get there. And then really putting and ensuring like there's a change management taking place. So the way I like to say it is our greening buy is essentially a customer's greening off. Yeah, that makes total sense as an automation supplier and all the digital technologies that we can help people in their journey through a number of different ways. Thanks for sharing that, Denka. Bobby, with Texas being an energy hub for all of North America and even beyond globally, what does the energy landscape look like as we go forward? Well, in many ways, Jim, it will look much like the historic landscape. And in other ways, it will look dramatically different. (laughs) Uh, And here in Texas, particularly, I think we are very clear that the challenge is, in fact, a dual challenge, which is to say we have to deliver reliable, affordable and secure energy to the world today while at the same time, dramatically driving down CO2 and other emissions. And if if the challenge were just one of those two things, it would be quite a different proposition. But in fact, the the challenge is is that we need to be able to walk and chew gum, which is to say we have to do, we have to do both of those and and we have to do them uh, simultaneously. And so uh, a big part of the energy complex here in, in Texas will continue to be focused on the former, which is to say, just delivering reliable, affordable and secure energy today to the world uh, as it's needed. And then there's also a subset of companies who will be doing that and will be focused on truly new things. And there will also be a group of companies focused exclusively on innovation, new company formation, new forms of energy, and all the services that, that go around that. And so it's, a, it's really a very exciting time, but we have to remind ourselves that there's no one silver bullet. Energy is, is truly a, a system, or in fact, multiple systems that are highly, highly complex. And the challenges that we face are multifaceted. They're challenges of the physical world, of of chemistry and physics. They're also challenges of the geopolitical world, security and reliability. And then there there are challenges of of the consumer, which, which is to say that people who are using energy every day are simultaneously desiring, if not demanding, that it be cleaner and and lower emissions, yet they also want it as cheaply and reliably as they can possibly get it, right? So you you roll all that together and it means that the challenges are are huge and complex and likely to take a, a long time. But the good news is that we have a world that is increasingly focused on this challenge. And ultimately, it's our industrial companies like Jennifer's companies and, and many, many others who will drive the change that's, that's needed for us to, to get to where we needed to go, need to go, which is to say dramatically lower CO2 emissions to, to mitigate the, the worst impacts of climate change. Well, that does certain that dual challenge there. 
certainly presents a lot of challenges, but with the amount of people focused and all that brain power, the technology innovations, there'll be a lot of things along the way that help us drive that way just by the sheer focus on, on the challenge there. Jennifer, I guess same question for you. How do you see the Texas energy landscape from your perspective as we go forward? So I think what, what Bobby said was spot on right. I think for Texas, maybe to take one step back, this year with the Russia-Ukraine war really highlighted the need for energy security. And we saw costs rise tremendously. And so, I mean, that really hit it home for all of us in industry, especially those of us that are global companies watching that. I think for Texas, you know, you do need, you need reliable, low cost, love sustainable energy. And so I think when we look at what we do as an industry, it's gotta be reliable, rateable energy. So renewable energy is wonderful. We love investing in it. I think it is absolutely important for our future. Battery storage isn't where it needs to be yet today. So I think you are going to need other sources of energy. So I think it's gonna be, I always call it lumpy. You're gonna have a lot of different things moving. And, and I think Bobby said it very well, it's going to take time. So I think about hydrogen, and so we're actually participating in a collaborative group with Chevron and with Air Liquide to bring hydrogen as a, a hub. So infrastructure, infrastructure takes time, it takes a lot of money, but I love the opportunity now that we can collaborate in this sustainability space. We collaborate more now, and I think that's very exciting, right? So pet chem companies, because of, you know, because of IP, we didn't always maybe collaborate as much, but we are today. And I think it's really important that we're doing this because there's high cost and higher risk. So if you can get supply and demand together, working together, it adds a little bit more comfort as you go through the, the infrastructure build or the technology improvements or driving new technology. So, I mean, for me, I think you're going to see a big change. Hydrogen could be, it could be blue, it could be green. I mean, we'll see what that looks like, but I do think that is an alternative way to look at energy. So renewable energy, hydrogen as a source, and, and you know, maybe one other comment too, here in the Houston area, you've got a lot of olefin crackers, right? And a lot of them are cracking ethane because ethane is a lower cost raw material. When you crack it, you do actually make a lot of hydrogen. So a lot of folks are starting to recycle their hydrogen to also cut down on the natural gas they're using. So, so I think people are getting smarter. They're becoming more energy efficient. And I do think you're going to see a change over time. And I agree with Bobby, it's going to take some time. But if you have a lot of companies that are willing to collaborate, I think it, it allows for a much higher success rate going forward and faster. Yeah, I think that collaboration is everything. I mean, from a supplier standpoint of equipment to it, to understand the challenges and move the technology along to help address that. And then some of the examples like recycling that hydrogen with hydrogen being so promising an energy carrier there, though we're on the train moving that direction and, and it seems to be accelerating, which is great. Denka, since a large part of our automation business is here in Texas, how do you see it, how we play in the Texas energy landscape and how it's evolving? Yeah, so I was saying that, you know, we've always been industrial leaders in aerospace and healthcare, in oil and gas. And now really this energy addition, if you will, is where we take place as the frontier runners in the renewable sector. So in 2022, 
Texas added 8,000 megawatts of solar and wind as well. California, just as a benchmark, was only 3,000 megawatts. So we look at the amount of infrastructure and capital that's being invested in the renewables. And then to what Jennifer said around the hydrogen hubs, that mix of who we're working with and the companies that we're working with. I mean, you see lithium refineries coming in place. Tesla has moved and big tech has moved into Texas in a very meaningful way. And with that, what do you get? You get a lot of startups, a lot of clean tech companies moving in this space as well. So I like to put it into two ways. The industry has changed. And more importantly, I almost say like the talent demographic has changed. And what do I mean by that? I don't think people understand like Texas is the fastest growing state in the rest of the country right now. Houston is the most diverse city, beating out LA and even New York. So when it comes to thinking about what makes us special, we have 8 billion people in this world that need clean energy, that need reliable sources of energy. And the talent is here. So in some ways, Texas is positioned to being the epicenter of how we actually enable other areas of the world to come and go green. And I think Texas is a place that's blessed with all forms of energy from the carbon-based ones that were being creative and how we remove the carbon or capture and sequester the carbon to the wind, the sunshine and everything else in there. So it seems natural that blessed with all this energy that we lead the way in, you know, helping the world with how to how to reduce the carbon and all of that energy. Bobby, let me turn to you. Can you share your views on the importance of partnerships in achieving these net zero goals? Well, the goal certainly will not be achieved without partnerships and and collaboration. That's very, very clear. And I would say it's, it's clear for two reasons. One is that, as I mentioned before, there's no silver bullet here and, and we're going to have to have progress across a very, very wide range of, of issues. And some of that has to do with technology. Some of it has to do with markets. Some of it has to do with customer preferences. But there's there's a very wide range of issues that will require solutions and no one company touches all of those and no one regulatory body touches all of those for, for that matter. So, so almost by definition, we, we have to have collaboration and partnerships. But perhaps the even more important reason, and Jennifer touched on this earlier, is risk sharing, I think, is going to be really, really critical here. You know, the IEA says we need to be spending, you know, call it $4 trillion per year globally every year between now and 2050 to meet the goals of the Paris Climate Accords. We're currently spending about $1 trillion globally. So we're $3 trillion a year short. <laughs> And we're, you know, whatever, whatever the number is, 28 years away. So we're, we're talking about a lot of, lot of, of capital uh, required here. And there is no one company, nor is there any one government that could possibly afford to, to pay for the majority of that. It's, it, the capital is going to have to come from everywhere. It will have to come from governments in the forms of, of uh, R&D and, and grants and tax incentives. And we're doing a lot of that here now. And the EU is close behind us. A lot of it is going to have to come from from the private capital markets, you know, true risk taking, where that whether that's at a venture capital level or a more traditional private equity level. 
a lot of it is going to have to come from the budgets of our big industrial companies who generate free cash flow and are going to have to take some of that free cash flow and invest it in innovation and, and new products and, and new ventures. And ultimately, and this is quite an unpopular thing to say, but I'm going to say it, ultimately, it's going to have to come from us as consumers of energy. <laughs> We're going to have to be prepared to help pay for the innovation and incremental costs that's that's required to decarbonize quickly on the on the pace that we need to be on uh, to make all of this happen. So it is going to require collaboration and partnership across every corner of industry and every corner of our society and every corner of government around the world. This is a massive, massive undertaking because there's a huge amount of inertia in energy systems. They are big and complex. We have to be able to leverage what we already have because completely replumbing the world's energy systems is simply too expensive and it will take too long to have an impact on the, the problem, the climate change problem, in the way that we really need to. So I'm a big believer in the importance of collaboration. Yeah, when it extends to all of us, even as consumers, that's uh, everyone's got a stake in this and everyone's got step up for their part of it. Jennifer, I was fascinated reading through on your website about how your company will achieve your goal of ending plastic waste. Can you share more about the ways you're tackling this goal? Sure. So we, we actually were a founding member of the Alliance to, to End Plastic Waste. And so we have we actually have a multi a multi-pronged program, right? So our goal is to get to two million metric tons of of recycled product that we sell into the market. And it can be from chemical recycling, mechanical recycling, or a circular like renewable um, feedstock. So on the, on the advanced recycling, we actually have our own technology. We call it MoreTech. The MoreTech technology takes hard to uh, recycle plastic and it is it makes it into what we call pyrolysis oil. And that oil can then be cracked to create olefins that can then go into polymer. We also look at things like JVs. We get involved with those as well. Again, about the collaboration part that Bobby was talking about. So we have we've invested in some JVs already a state-of-the-art uh, sorting units. One is in Germany with Source One Plastics. We are also part of a partnership in Houston to reduce the landfilling that's going on with Exxon and Cyclix. So, you know, so those are areas where we're now trying to procure the recycled materials, you know, plastic bottles and whatnot to bring into our facilities to to either make pyrolysis oil out or also expand into our current mechanically recycled programs that we have. We just signed a few more MOUs and LOIs with others so that we can also make more. We have one already, QCP in Europe, where we make that mechanically recycled polymer. So we look at things like our Circulin brand that we're trying to bring to market, working with our customers that really want it. They want to be able to say things are made out of recycled plastic. You know, I think about the drink cups that a lot of the fast food restaurants are now recycled plastic. So the biggest issue there really is is not the technology, it's the collection of the of the plastic. So I think for us, again, talking about partnership, the way to make that happen is to partner with folks maybe that we wouldn't have partnered with in the past 
and start trying to figure out how to solve that problem so that we can bring it into our sites and use it. So, so I'm actually super excited to see us doing this and really expanding. We also, you know, on our leadership team, we have, as we reorganized under Peter, we do have a, a circular and low carbon solutions business line. And I think that's important so that we are more customer facing to try and bring those solutions to customers and help them be more innovative as well. Well, that really brings that partnership aspect to life, all those different ways you described you're working with others to do some of that so that's that's really exciting uh, from what bobby said that you as as a company are are putting that into practice and really driving what you're doing for more sustainable operations Denkrup, what role can we play in helping lyondell and and other companies in this yeah you know jim i sometimes think about to adding to what Bobby and uh, Jen- Jennifer said, we are some ways the conduit to making sure that the alliance or the partnerships make sense. Like we're the vehicle. We ourselves don't do the production, but I have never signed more three-way NDAs, I'll tell you this much, between companies that are very similar to us. So I think that there's been a natural collaboration and a congregation in trying to do the right thing, which I have not seen in the last 10 plus years. And, and you know, I think I'm very passionate actually around the greening with. Emerson's greening with is in our ethos. And it means how do we work with OEMs, with maybe even competitors, dare I say it, but people who are in the same space of how, how we bring solutions to the Lyondells or to the other customers that we have. And I go back to this look, you know, one fundamental thing that I think it's a Zambian proverb. If you run alone, you run fast, but if you run with others, you run far. And the whole purpose of what we're doing is we want to run far. Past a net zero goal, past, you know, what Wall Street is expecting. I think we owe it to our children and our children's children who are, by the way, ready to pay for it. I think Bobby touched on it's, it is up to us as individuals to be able to say we will be able to to maximize and and make sure we are able to deliver those promises. But our next generation are willing to actually spend in that in in that more efficient manner. So I think I'll conclude with this. I don't think that the ecosystem or the partnerships are linear, which we've often thought about, but they're in some ways almost like a bubble of moving the same way in the same direction in a very calculated manner. And it's almost, uh, you know, the analogy, the fingers have a job, your body parts all have a job. But when you come together and you're able to actually make the impact that is needed, it's so much more meaningful. So I think we have to think of sometimes putting the ego aside and understanding how can we come into alliances and partnerships in a very meaningful and calculated way. Jim, one thing I, I might add, if, if I might, to Dinka's comments is, is that, uh, an area of importance in the energy transition that probably doesn't get enough airtime, if you will, is just that of efficiency gains and and conservation. And, you know, we we can think a lot about alternative forms of energy. That's that's one way of kind of getting getting out greenhouse gas emissions. But we can also think about more efficient operations that, in fact, conserve energy so that we don't have to use as much of it to create the same amount of uh, energy, energy output and industrial activity. And when I think of the business automation world and of Emerson in particular, your company is right at the heart of that. 
and, and I think that alone is is sort of poised to make really really big contributions to this to this whole effort. So we we need to remember and and concentrate on the role that in industry and industrial automation can and and must play in the in the energy transition. And we'll be counting on. Emerson and, and your like-minded companies around the world to, to help us do that. Yeah, one thing that's really helping in this area is technology advanced and wireless communication has grown is really the ability not just to instrument a plant to control it, but to really measure, you know, how are we doing energy-wise and, and others. So, more companies can take advantage of that and and creative engineers in our industry are figuring what are more things we can put devices and analytics and other things to help drive greater energy efficiency so i appreciate you bringing that up that's something that we we want to make sure we're continuing to advance the technology to make it easier and easier for people to be able to do that and drive their energy usage lower I guess let's let's wind down. This has been a great discussion, and I know that our listeners have gotten some or will get some great things out of it. I guess kind of a looking forward, Bobby, what progress do you see being made by the end of this decade? I think there will be tremendous progress across a, a whole range of, of areas, some of which were already sort of firmly on on the path. So, so for example, uh, in the world of renewable power generation, uh, I think we will continue to have, you know, very large uh, expansions of, of wind and solar and, and hydro and geothermal and other forms of renewable power g- generation. So we've got great momentum there and, and we're on our way. I think the evolution of, of hydrogen is a really important component of all of this. The next three or four years is critical for the hydrogen world for, for us to get to uh, economics that, that make both blue and, and green hydrogen possible and feasible and, and, and desirable. And then I think there's a whole nother bucket of, of things that we will be doing at the end of this decade that we can't even imagine today. <laughs> and much of that will come, I think, out of our DOE labs and our, and our research universities and, and th- those two things are real competitive advantages that, that America has versus the rest of the world. And we need to put them to use and put them to use in a very big way between now and the end of the decade. So I kind of go back to my original point, point, Jim, which is that there's no silver bullet. This is going to take a little bit of progress across a million different things. In, in the aggregate, we can make a big difference. We can dr- dramatically drive down CO2 emissions and live in a much cleaner, more sustainable world. Yeah, I think that's an excellent summation. And just in energy storage alone, there may be some breakthroughs that we, we can't even imagine now in the seven years we have left in this particular decade. And Jennifer, I, I know that you said you've lifted what, from 30 to 42 percent, you know, what you're going to do by the end of the decade. But beyond what you said earlier, what do you see advancements as we close out this decade? So, I mean, I think for us to get to 42 percent, and I think a lot of companies that look like us are, are very similar trying to do the same thing. 
it's it's not just about energy efficiency. You actually have to do something holistically different, right? So carbon capture is one, hydrogen is another. So so I do see, I agree with Bobby, I think we have the Inflation Reduction Act. We have ways now that helps, I think, encourage this and support moving forward so that you do have the right cost levels to make it work, hydrogen in particular. So I actually do think by the end of the decade, you know, you could see a lot of things starting to come online. And so the other thing I think, too, is that I think as this starts to grow, it's, you know, the beginning is always a little bit slow. But once you start to get to momentum, it really starts to take off. So, for example, trying to get wells permitted, these types of things, folks will start to see it and hopefully help us streamline it and make sure that we can do these things a little a little bit better, a little bit faster. So, so I think by the time we get to the end of the decade, I think you will see a lot more renewable power. I agree with Bobby on that. I think hydrogen is another one. I'm excited about what technology is going to be there that isn't there today, right? Those are the things that are super exciting. I think energy storage would be great, right? So that's one where I really do hope we see even more significant advancements. But even for us in our labs, we're looking at making products differently in the future than we make them today, right? And so these things that we partner with universities as well. And so so I think the not knowing yet what's going to be out there is kind of super exciting to me. Well, that's also excellent summation. There are so many different things going on, and each of us in where we're at have a big role to play with that. Well, I want to thank you all so much for sharing your time and your expertise with our listeners. And I know we look forward to doing our part in helping meet these lofty goals that we have before us and improve the quality of life we all enjoy again. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Bobby. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah.